0: So I've been really excited to share this message with you. This is like, this is my my heartbeat and and what, you know, just what God wants us to do, our mission as a church, our mission as believers. And and that is this idea of how far would you go to save someone you love and how far Jesus would go. And I I, I think if if we were, I I don't think this would be any exaggeration. I think most of us here that are able-bodied Man, if we, if, it, if we had to travel 200 miles over mountainous, snowy terrain to save someone's life, I think we would do it. Um, if, if we are, or some of you, you know, you couldn't do that and you'd die on the way because, you know, you're not able-bodied. But, but, you know, I think we would do that. I think most of us here, maybe all of us here, if it was someone we loved and we had to go to prison to save their life, you'd go to prison. And and certainly, if it was a matter of being mocked or made fun of or or having a terrible reputation, I would be willing to give up my reputation to be mocked and made fun of if it would save someone that I love. And, And so, just as we talk about this and we talk about how far Jesus went to save those he loved... I, I think that that's what his mission for us is on the earth today, is how far he wants us to go to the ends of the earth to save those that he loves. And, and that includes going across the street. That's, that's everywhere he wants us to share with others about how they can be saved. I mean, we would do so much to save someone's physical life, to give someone another 10 or maybe another 60 or 70 years on earth, but how far would we go to save someone spiritually and give them a uh, hundred million years of life in heaven? And, and I think there's a disconnect in our brains sometimes about the difference between the two. We somehow think the 60 years is important, the million years is not but, but it's incredibly important. And so we're going to look. This is played out in the book of Acts where Jesus' disciples that, that, that knew him, that followed him, that he spoke to, they're, they're on a mission, and they want to take salvation, and they want to tell people about Jesus all over to the ends of the earth. And so we pick up part of the story in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionaries from Antioch, Syria, and one of their stops along the way is Antioch, Turkey, and uh, so that's where they are, and they, they, their strategy is they go to the Jews first. Almost all Christians at this point in church history, almost all Christians are Jews because the Jews knew the Old Testament, and so they would go to a new city, to tell people about jesus and they'd go to the synagogue first because there would be jews familiar with the old testament they talk about isaiah 53 they talk about all these prophecies that that clearly show that jesus is the messiah and so many jews would accept christ and then they would go from there and so they they met on the sabbath on a saturday and talked to the jews in the synagogue. And it went over so well, that some of those Jews were so excited, they invited everyone. And the people they invited, invited people. And so on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And it says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. This isn't all the Jews, because some of the Jews invited the crowds. But the Jewish leaders, they were jealous. They were like, what? Hundreds of people? thousands of people coming out to hear. They never came out to hear me. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. They felt obligated. You're my countrymen. You're my, my own like flesh and blood, so to speak. You're, you have all that spiritual heritage. Knowing the Old Testament, we felt obligated to tell you first this good news about Jesus. But this next statement, dripping with sarcasm, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life if you're not worthy of eternal life, pretty sarcastic, we we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, I've made you a light for the Gentiles. And he is quoting a 700 year old prophecy from Isaiah. And he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And what was the reaction to this? And I'm going to skip a few verses and get to the reaction of the leaders there. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. If you are, want to follow Jesus Christ, one of the things that means is you have to be willing to be a threat to those who are in power because that's that's what they were. They were a threat to people in power, and they weren't a threat to the mafia of Antioch. They weren't a threat to the, the prostitutes and the, the drug addicts and alcoholics of, of Antioch. Who were they a threat to? They were a threat to, to Jewish leaders, God-fearing women, leading men of the city, the respectable, seen as as godly and virtue-signaling moral people of that community. That's who they got in trouble with. And if you want to follow Jesus Christ in our country today, I'm telling you, you need to be willing to look like a troublemaker and a fool to the important people. There is a Japanese proverb. We support some uh, ministry partners in Japan, Phil and Debbie Melton, And uh, this Japanese proverb that they're aware of is that the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. And that's very true of Japanese culture. It's true in many cultures. And I'm telling you, the hammer is coming to the United States of America. And for some, it's already here. And I'm not talking about getting hammered down for for talking about, if I'm going to get the hammer, it better be about Jesus. It's not going to be about whether I'm wearing a mask or not, okay? It's not going to be about something trivial that's not in God's word. It's about standing up for the truth of God's word and what's right and Jesus Christ and speaking up to protect those who are vulnerable. And that means many times you're going to look like a troublemaker. You're going to look like a fool. Oh, you're one of those ignorant people. Hate filled Christians, aren't you? But, but this, how far would you go to save someone you love, to save someone maybe you don't even know? Are you willing to look like a fool? Are you willing to look like a troublemaker to the good people of this community? Or if you're online, the community you're in, you know, we have some people watching online. Pastor Andrew said recently, from India. We have a couple from, from Mexico. We have, we have individuals, different, different communities. And are you willing to look like a troublemaker, to stick out, to stick up, to get hammered down for Jesus Christ and this is what happened to them. They shook off the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Why would they be filled with joy that they were mocked and shouted down and couldn't even give their ma- Why were they filled with joy? Because they said, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus said, you, you're going to go and you're going to be persecuted and you're going to be kicked out of towns. And when you're kicked out of towns, you need to ceremoniously shake the dust off your feet from those towns. And move on to the next one and tell them the good news there. And so they're like, this is exactly what Jesus said. We're being treated like Jesus. We must be on the right track. If if you have never felt awkward, been mocked, been negatively talked about for your stand for Jesus, I'm not sure you're taking a stand. Here's the thing the people that attract the most negative attention are those that are making the biggest difference. If you're just nice and keep your mouth shut, you'll be fine because you're not a threat. But you open your mouth, you, you start challenging people, you see people's lives changed, you bring people to Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, here comes the hammer. And maybe it's just mocking and maybe it's just you know they're the Bible thumper you know and and just disrespect and things like that, but but all. But this is the path that Jesus took, and this is the path we need to take. In fact, it goes on ahead. I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. They they were kicked out of Antioch. They went to Iconium. They were kicked out of Iconium. They go to Lystra. And in Lystra, it says some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. There's actually, Paul and Barnabas did a miracle. They healed a guy. The crowd was like, oh, the gods are among us. And they were trying to sacrifice, make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. They thought they were gods. And it was all they could do to be like, no, we're not gods. Don't sacrifice to us. We serve the one true God. And there's a mob, and mobs are so unpredictable and fickle, and they're saying this and they're saying that. And then these Jews from these other towns came in, and they won the mob over. They said, oh, no, they're not gods. They hate your gods. They're against your gods. They want to tear down your altars and idols. And it says they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. They picked up big rocks, and you just throw them at somebody, try to hit them in the head as hard as you can until they're dead, and that's what they did to Paul. And when they thought he was dead, they dragged him out of the city to the place where they throw garbage, and they threw him in the garbage heap, and they left him for dead. And the other disciples and followers of Jesus, they came out, and he was still barely alive, and they they took him, they nursed him back to health, they sent him away because it was too dangerous for him to remain in the city. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to bring salvation to those in need? And what I want to share with you, and this this is what happened. So they said, this is our mission, that to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And what happened? The very next verse, I skipped it earlier, but the very next verse, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. It was working. So here's what I'm really excited to share with you. For most of my life, the the story I believed, and and I don't know if I, I I never, certainly never verbalized it this way, but but what I thought about Christianity was this plan that Jesus had to, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth and to change the world, it started out really well in the book of Acts, had some bumps along the way, but generally did, you know, was a great plan. But in the last decades, half century, something like that, it kind of hit a wall. And God's plan to reach the world and to to change the world isn't really working anymore. And we just need to hold on for Jesus to return because, because, you know, things, you know, Christianity was spreading and now eh, it's not really working so much. Jesus' plan needs to be updated or something because it's just fizzled out. Nothing could be further from the truth. I've shared. I want to share with you a couple um, slides to talk about this. I've shared this one with you before. Major religions of the world. These are these are called. uh, These are the five largest world religions. So more people follow these five religions than any other. Secularism is also religion that should be up there, but um, that's hard to pin down. But Sikhs it's called a world religion but over 90% of all Sikhs are in Asia it's really an asian religion and the same is even more true of buddhism 98% of buddhists live in asia it's an asian religion not really a world religion hindus about 90% of hindus live in india and over 90% live again in asia it's an asian religion islam muslims a little bit different now now you got two major continents africa and asia 90 plus percent of, uh, of uh, Muslims live on those two continents. But Christians, a lot of people think of Christians as a European, North American religion. It's not. In fact, I, I would say more than any other belief system is the truest world religion. And when you look at those bars you you see that there's more Christians in Africa than in Europe. There's more Christians in South America than there are in North America. So this is not some Western thing. This is not some white, middle-class religion. This is Asian, African, South American, European, North American, everything. It is a world religion. This idea that Jesus had to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, that plan is working In fact, um, back in 1990, I just want to read this to you, a headline said, and I I wrote it down, 1,907 languages have at least some part of the Bible translated, only 4,263 more to go. So in 1990, there were 2,000 languages that had some part of the Bible translated, and over 4,000 that had nothing. They estimated at the current rate it would take 150 more years to translate God's Word into these other languages on earth. Here, here's where we're at now, 30 years later. 79% of the, the world, people in the world have the Bible in their language. If you, you add the New Testament, 90% of the population of the world, almost 8 billion people, have the New Testament in their language. And, and there's only 2% that do not have the Bible in their language. And Wycliffe translators plan on starting the Bible translation and 99.9% of, of the people on earth's languages have at least started it in three years. In three years, not 150. And, and so this has accelerated because of new translation techniques and, of course, because of the, the computer. Um, and, and and it's working. And here's, here's like the most exciting chart, okay? I'm a chart guy. Some of you, you're, you're really bored. Hang in there, all right? Um, this is the number of uh, believing Christians. So, so it's really hard to figure out who who really is following Jesus because lots of people say, I'm a Christian. And and they don't believe the Bible. They they believe in reincarnation and all sorts of weird things. And they don't believe Jesus was God. And but they'll call themselves Christians. And so what this is is this is about believing Christians. So this is people who say they read, believe, and obey the Bible. Okay. So that's actually one third of all Christians. So two thirds of Christians say I don't read, I don't believe, and or or I don't I don't obey the Bible. So. So, this is one third of, of the Christians, the people who call themselves Christians on earth, so it's smaller than the overall number. But even that, obviously, I, are there 800 million Christians, true people following Jesus who've surrendered their life to Jesus Christ? That's what salvation is. I need to define that. Salvation is not a system of beliefs, salvation is not being a good person and good works. To be saved means that you had a point in your life where you said, I, I, I need Jesus Christ to die and pay for my sins on the cross. I am, I'm going to get out of the Savior business and let Jesus save me. And then I'm going to get out of the Lordship, God business, and I'm going to make Jesus my Lord as well. So people who make Jesus their Lord and Savior, there's not 800 million of them on earth. There's no way. I don't know what the real number is, but but this is just to show, because you can't say, okay, I can see your heart, you're a Christian, I can see your heart, you're not, you know, you, you can't. But this gives you the trend. No matter how you measure who is actually a Christian, this is the trend. In 100 A.D., when the New Testament was just completed, um, there was one Christian for every 360 people on earth. In 1,000 A.D., one Christian for every 260 people on earth. 1,500, one for every 85 people on earth. One believing Christian. And, of course, we know why this is because even in 1,500, No one in South America, right? No one in Australia, no one in Central Africa had even heard of Jesus, have any concept of who he is. And so as you just watch it, 1900, there was around 1800 an enormous missions push that then started in the Western world and then caught fire in, in the Southern Hemisphere especially. 1900, one Christian for every 41 people on earth, 2,000, one, Christian for every, one believing Christian for every nine people on earth. Isn't that amazing? I thought we were losing. Have you gotten that impression from the news and what's going on? And the truth is the church in America is sick. It, it is not strong. But the church in the world is moving forward. And like that little video at the beginning, it's, it's, these, it's these natives Reaching their own people for Christ, building their own airstrips, so that they can so that they can go to the next village over with the gospel and tell their neighbors about Jesus Christ. And um, so so here's something that kind of goes along, dovetails with that. The share of the world's population living in extreme poverty over the last 200 years. 200 years ago, over almost 90, about 94 percent of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. Right, they're starving. They have, uh, you know, almost no food. They the dirt floors, no running water, no no good water. You know, contaminated water. And you think about England and New York City two hundred years ago, and there there were people in extreme poverty in in those places in, in the the West and, and well the Midwest. There was almost no West back in eighteen twenty. Um, so so, but look how it's plummeted. In fact, today it's flipped. In fact, today, just to zoom in on it, back in 2018, 8.6 percent of the world's population lived in extreme poverty, and this is as the world's population has, has quadrupled and quintupled from 1820. Like, it's exploded, and, and yet even the number of poor as a percentage have shrunk during that time. In fact, COVID actually reversed this a little bit, so it's up to about nine or 10 percent now. But but still. And what is driving this? Well, it it is true that poverty is complicated and much of this is driven by something called free markets. It's negatively called capitalism. I don't like to use the word capitalist. That's what socialists gave the system. It's called free markets. And free markets and technology, mostly pioneered and developed in the Christian West, have been exported throughout the world and this is driving the reduction of poverty. But on top of that, You do have millions of Christians giving billions of dollars quietly every year to alleviate the problem of poverty. Poverty is not a physical problem anymore. We do not have a lack of food or resources. Poverty today, over 90% of poverty today is driven by sin, by corruption, by injustice, by war, by violence, by, by addiction, all these things. And, and so you, you have organizations, Christian organizations, that are working to end poverty. One of them we support, um, Food for the Hungry in Guatemala. And, and so what, what they do, we, we looked into World Vision, we worked, looked into um, uh, Compassion International, all these different. And this is Food for the Hungry. This is not Food for the Poor. Food for the Poor, don't know much about them. They're not a Christian organization. This is different. Food for the hungry. Um, They bring the Bible into these villages. They they have seminars for the pastors so that they can become better pastors, and they teach these kids how the the salvation story about how Jesus died for them, about how they're valuable. They teach them good hygiene. Uh, When we were there a few years ago, there we were helping them dig latrines outside every home, because previous to that they just went in the woods, and then when it would rain the stuff would come down and they'd have chickens in their house and a, you know little babies crawling on the floor picking up and putting stuff in their mouths. They'd have constant diarrhea, which would cause them malnourishment, which would cause brain stuntedness. And you could tell in the schools with some of the older elementary kids, when I first went, you could tell we'd do memory games and you'd be like, that kid's got brain damage. He can't remember a single thing. And that kid over there is beating me. <laughs> because they have much better memories than I do. And, and, just, and, and it's just transforming these communities. There's, there's over 90 Bridgewater families that are sponsoring these kids. That, that's $35 a month. And with over 90 sponsored kids, $35 a month, that's over $40,000 a year that is going into these two villages and lifting them out of poverty. If you want to be involved in this, there, there is a table on the way out. I just encourage you to, to take a packet, commit to giving $35 a month um, toward this. These are real kids, real picture. You write them. We've written, sometimes I don't know what to write, but we write them all the time. You know, four or five times a year, we write little notes to them that get to them. They translate them into Spanish. And, and so it, it's just an awesome thing. And, and so I just want to encourage you, that that's something you can do. And um, if you're online, I think there's a little link that Pastor Andrew is putting up that you can click on. Wouldn't it be awesome if we, if we sponsored like 30 more kids? Just, just, just today. We're going to have it next week as well, but I uh, just want to encourage you to do that. Another group that we support is, is in India. Um, in the news a little, uh, about a month ago, Mother Teresa's organization in India was temporarily shut down by the Indian government because they don't like Christians helping poor people like Mother Teresa. She is, not, she is not highly viewed by the government officials there. Obviously she has passed away, but the international outcry was so great they reversed their decision and said, okay, you can keep going for now. And we have an opportunity, and we don't know how long it is, but to support, um, there's about 60 some churches uh, that, that are, are a little denomination there nationally led that we support and are involved with they have a bible college and um, they used to have an orphanage but the government shut it down Uh, christian orphanages are now illegal in the country there there is a great deal of persecution we don't know how much longer we can do this but our end of the year giving last year uh, part of that vision gift over a hundred about a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand dollars of that was given to them to help them continue to train pastors and start new churches while we can, while we can help them. Because they, they, they're of the 10 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. India is number 10. Number one is Afghanistan. And here's the connection between poverty and Christianity. The worst country to be a Christian in is Afghanistan. Guess what is the poorest country on earth with half of their people, almost 12 million going to be starving within the next year? Afghanistan. Second worst country in the world to be a Christian is North Korea. Guess what's one of the the five poorest countries on earth per capita individuals? North Korea. There there is a connection between God's people and and God's blessing, right? And and so when, when people accept Christ, now the problem is and I've, I've talked to some of you here about this and had at least one individual say this in response. So this is God's plan. The best way to change America and to fix our nation is to reach your neighbor for Christ. And the response to that is, that takes too long. I, I want to win the next election. Right, I, I, want, I want a law put into effect that protects our liberties and our and, and it takes too long to, to win people to Christ? Are you kidding me? How how long is that going to take to trickle up to Washington? It's been 2,000 years. Jesus' plan seems very slow, but a whole lot better than any other plan. I'm telling you, it is worth. And, and this is the thing. When you reach your neighbor for Christ, I mentioned this before as well. But 15 years ago, the entire budget for Montrose was everything given. This was designated given to benevolence, to to the general fund, to to missions. Everything given 15 years ago was $211,000. In the last 12 months, if you would adjust that for inflation, it would be like $290,000 today. In the last 12 months, we've given away as a church over that about $300,000 we've given away to India to Food for the Hungry. That's not even counting the 40,000 that individuals have given in sponsorships in Guatemala. So here's why I say that. When you reach your neighbor for Christ, not only is that good for Montrose and good for whatever community you're in, if you're watching online, not only is that good for your community, that's good for the world because almost all of the problems in the world today would be solved if people would follow Jesus Christ. The war on the steps of Ukraine, how do you fix that? There's some people that need to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, I was in Ukraine in 2000. And uh, met with a pastor there. The previous church I was at, First Baptist in Johnson City, we had a partner relationship with, with uh, a, a church in Ukraine. And um, so I met with the pastor there, Peter Radoslava. He showed me the hole. They, they, they moved the dining room table. They rolled the carpet out from under the dining room table and showed me the hole in the floor that he hid in when the secret police was looking for him. They had bugged his, his home and when they heard the children yelling, Papa, Papa, the police broke down the doors and came in looking for him. And they had quickly, they had made this little place for him. Because his brother was a pastor as well and his brother was in Siberia for preaching the gospel. In fact, they, they didn't baptize children until you're at least 18 years of age. Maybe if it was a, a special really on fire for God kid at 16 they would baptize them I said why so late said because when you're baptized you're saying I'm willing to go to prison and die for Jesus we want our kids to be old enough to understand what that means and I was talking to pastor Peter the 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 Ukraine had declared independence they're no longer under Soviet control and and I said isn't this wonderful that you're free now and he said we're free for now He said, it is so important for us to take the gospel to our neighbors now because we don't know how long we'll be free. And I thought, come on. Soviet Union is crumbling. This is a new world. He was right. There's over 100,000 Russian troops on their border right now. They've built field hospitals, the Russians. They, they They are ready for war. They are ready to take away not only that country's uh, political status, but the the religious freedoms of those in Ukraine as well. We have an opportunity in the United States, and we've had it for over two centuries, to share Jesus Christ with people and not go to prison and not die for it. Let's Let's not waste this opportunity because we don't know how long we have. And, and the plan that Jesus has is better than, than electing a new politician or, or making a law. You know what? We could pass all the laws we want. And I have learned that those in power can just decide to ignore those laws and do whatever they want. So that's not the solution. The solution is going to the ends of the earth, is bringing, and so here's something on your way out that I just want to encourage you to get. There's a little card, and on the back of it, it says uh, Acts 13:47, for this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light to the, genti- to the nations that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And on the other side, there's three empty spots. Pray, invest, invite for three names of people that you're going to pray for that need to surrender and give their lives to Jesus Christ. And you're going to pray for them every day, and you're going to invest in them, in friendship, in loving them, and you're going to invite them to take a step spiritually. Maybe it's come to church. Maybe it's, hey, uh, let's have coffee, and what do you believe, and let's talk about life and things or whatever it is, but you're going to pray, you're going to invest, and you're going to invite them because this is what the world needs. They need Jesus Christ. They need you to bring them Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you that uh, you got a good plan. And I just confess my sin of doubting that plan, of uh, just maybe having a, a myopic vision of just looking at what's right in front of me and not seeing the big picture of what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in places like Guatemala and India and, and, and Ethiopia. Lord, I just just pray that you would just fire us up. Lord, let no one leave here without being excited about being on the winning side. God, help us to jump in to your plan to be a part of the greatest movement in the history of humanity, the church, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.